I'm very pleased to introduce tonight's moderator, Lori Ochoa. Uh, Ms. Ochoa is co-editor of the Los Angeles Literary and Narrative Journalism Quarterly, Slake, which debuts this spring. Did I pronounce it first? Okay, you looked at me. <laughs> oh, bad marketing from the start, because of me. Previously, she was editor-in-chief of the LA Weekly, which consistently won more national journalism awards under her tenure than any other alternative newspaper in the US. She was the executive editor of Gourmet Magazine and spent 10 years as a reporter and editor at the Los Angeles Times. She lives in Pasadena, California with her husband, Jonathan Gold. There are two children, one cat and a snake. Please give a warm welcome to Ms. Lori Ochoa. Thank you. So I think uh, the first thing we'll do is interview, I mean, uh, introduce our panelists, and then we'll get going on this interesting question about what makes an LA writer. Um, so uh, to my direct right is DJ Waldy, um, who has been public information officer of the city of Lakewood since 1978, but he's also a wonderful writer and uh, is the author of Holy Land, a suburban memoir, which unlike you know other uh, books deconstructing the city is told with a beautiful um, poet's voice. It's a very dreamlike book, and it's a, an amazing book. And uh, and also close to home, an American album. Um, and he's a contributing writer to Los Angeles Magazine. He writes book reviews and commentary for all sorts of places, including uh, the Los Angeles and New York Times. And uh, you, you, it says you live a not quite middle class life in Lakewood in the uh, home your parents uh, bought in 1946. Exactly. Yes. Um, Ixta Maya Murray, um, the beautiful Ixta Maya Murray, she teaches criminal law and uh, feminist legal theory and, uh, and law and literature at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles. <laughs> but she's um, loved for her novels, though. Oh. <laughs> and they range from uh, Locus, which uh, is uh, set in gang um, Los Angeles, but with two amazingly strong female characters who fight back against the male culture. And and, they, and her novels range from you know her more recent um, books of adventure. Um, that start in Los Angeles, and, and um, but the, the the women in these books are have you know moved on from East LA, and they're um, quite educated and, um, and and interesting women. So um, and those books are um, the Conquest and uh, the King's Gold, and and you have a new book coming out, uh, also called The Good Girl's Guide to Getting Kidnapped. Yes. <laughs> So, um, and then um, next extra is uh, Jonathan Gold, who um, I am married to, so uh, <laughs> I, could, I could read his bio, but... Um, um, she has no notes written on that page. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I had to uh, write down the full title of uh, his book, Counterintelligence, uh, Where to Eat in the Real Los Angeles, um, which is a collection of um, Jonathan's uh, uh, columns, for both uh, the LA Weekly and the Los Angeles Times uh, from his column, Counterintelligence. Um, and uh, many people know uh, him for uh, being the first person, um, first food writer to win the Pulitzer Prize in 2007 for uh, criticism. Um, 
And uh, he's a music, he's been a music editor. Uh, he's written for Spin and Rolling Stone. Um, and he's written about art and movies, um, especially um, the movies that couldn't get screened um, and that, you know, um, we're playing at the Egyptian too. That he had to go on the first weekend and, and uh, see. So he he does many things, and uh, but is currently the restaurant critic at the LA Weekly. Still. You forgot the pet snake. I forgot the pet snake. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Gary um, Phillips, who um, is the author of many many novels um, and um, the um, the Martha Cheney series and the um, Ivan Monk series. Um, and he uh, was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. He's been a community activist um, and union organizer. And uh, um, he's written articles and commentary and all sorts of things, including race politics, pop culture. And those have appeared in places like the Los Angeles Times, the American Prospect. Um, and his most recent novel is Freedom's Fight about black soldiers in World War II. And he is books are incredibly wonderful and funny and um, you really need to, to read them. So, you know, we've got a diverse range of writers here. Um, so the question, what makes an LA writer, uh, on the surface is, you know, at first it's very simple. Well, they live in Los Angeles or write about Los Angeles, so we could go home after that. But, um, <laughs> but I think that uh, uh, we, it's a useful exercise, especially as we've been here in Guadalajara over the week. You know, a lot of LA writers have come together here in Guadalajara, and some have never met each other. And and one of the characteristics I think of Los Angeles is that so many people work in isolation because Los Angeles is so spread out, and it becomes one of the characteristics of of the literature of Los Angeles, where people can create, uh, you know, go away and create individual voices that don't sound like anyone else's. I mean, these, these writers, I don't think you could say that they sound like each other, but they all feed off Los Angeles in different ways. And so I think that's one of the things we want to, want to explore. I mean, I think that there are so many Los Angeles, like um, the player LA, you know, where, you know, about nervous literary stories about, you know, status and movie making or... Um, even uh, Glitz LA, like Judith Crant stories, where, you know, uh, the whole mass and trash kind of novels that are, you know, we can thank for all the stereotypes about Los Angeles and um, immigrant LA. And uh, so maybe you guys can start talking about um, the different types of, of LA novels out there. Maybe start, maybe we could start with, um, uh, with Gary, maybe you can start talking about, I think, the default style of LA novels, like the noir. Not novel, <laughs> and and you, but you what would be the word. But you are someone who um, you know, you mind the noir genre, but you also take it to places that um, parts of the city that hadn't been written about in other ways. So you both go to what's considered the default style, but you give it a new thing. So maybe you could talk about well, that a little bit. Well, I think that's a good point, Lord, which is to say that for me, I guess being an LA writer means that. Uh, you have to, uh, and we've, I've said this before and, and in various ways, but you have to sort of constantly uh, excavate and be an archaeologist. In the very, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, and yet, of course, it's a city that's constantly uh, changing around me, and there are different neighborhoods and different uh, kinds of you know, immigrants come to the city and, and, and establish themselves in the city. There's different enclaves in the city, and, of course, in the greater 
sort of LA area that we would now say, you know, includes uh, San Gabriel Valley and, and, and maybe even into Orange County and certainly into, uh, into uh, East LA and what have you. So, uh, and the South Bay. So you have these various components of the city uh, that in some ways there's still some old pockets left, but there's a lot of sort of new areas and there's a lot of uh, interesting areas that have come uh, come up uh, in the last, certainly in the last 20, 25 years. And so I think for me as a, as a writer who, not all of my stories are set in L.A., but a, a lot of my stories are set in L.A., uh, I always have to learn different parts of the city because I w I'm, I'm interested in sort of showing those parts of the city in the context of the mystery novels that I write about because it's interesting to me to then uh, try to then uh, learn about different areas, learn about some different cultures, not just in a surface way, but hopefully in a way that at least to a certain extent has a certain um, authenticity or resonance when, it, when I put it on the page. Right, and Ixta, you, you've taken um, your, your books to you know, many different parts of the city, you know, Long Beach and um, you know, the Getty and, 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 and all over, but, and, and you've, you've made these amazingly strong women characters and a lot of the, the, the stereotype of the LA novel is the hard-boiled male detective. And, you know, did you think about those things when you were starting to write? And you know, tell me how you came up with those fabulous women. Well, for me, writing, uh, writing, uh, yeah, writing uh, the Los Angeles novel uh, or living the, the LA life, yeah, is uh, I, I don't have a very firm grasp on an answer. The only the image that I can come up with is uh, you're 12 years old, you're living in the suburbs. It's really sunny outside, and you're sitting in your bedroom in your shorts and your sweatshirt, and you have a book, and it's just super sunny, and on the television, there are all these amazing things happening in Los Angeles, but you're in your bedroom, and you don't have maybe that many friends, and, like, what's going on? Like, I thought it was something was supposed to be happening here in Los Angeles, right? So it's not. So, <laughs> you know... So that, for me, you know, Beverly, Beverly Hills 90210, like, yeah, that's just not my life here in my little, you know, dolphin shorts and my satin jacket. So the dream of trying to be something more than that little squid reading uh, non-LA books, Russian books and crazy, you know, Ukrainian books and stuff, is that, that's where it comes from. Like, I got to get out of here. Like, I got to be something more than this because it's all on television. It's apparently, it's happening somewhere. I just, I just can't find it. So you just start writing about it. And that's, that's really where it, where it comes from for me. Just a t sense of dislocation. Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm here, but I haven't figured it out yet. Right, and and DJ, you've written a lot about the different communities, in, or you know, in Los Angeles, and and I also feel like one of the things, one of the subgenres of of LA writing is you know, the landscapers, mm. the people who who um, help shape and map the city. And maybe you could talk about how you started to do that and what you what brought you to that. Okay. Uh, uh, lots of different things. Like like uh, like Gary, um, um, I'm interested in excavating the city. The city needs to be excavated all the time. The layer, the geo, the archaeological layers, even the geologic layers, mount so quickly. One has to excavate every day, down <laughs> down to find some uh, primal Los Angeles. Um, and 
And because I'm a non-driver, not able to drive, I'm one of the strangest of Southern Californians. So there's a, there's a special place for us, I think, in, in hell. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I should say that's the MTA, the, the, the bus system in Los Angeles. <laughs> Uh, I have to c come in contact with the landscape of Los Angeles in a way more intimately than, than others. There are those who, who drive the city, the Joan Didions of the world, who know the city as, this, uh, as a series of almost hallucinatory uh, passages across the, the, the swooping uh, overpasses of the freeway where I am slogging along the sidewalk or waiting for a crowded MTA bus uh, and therefore have a different sense of what the city is like. I have a different sense of the, of the territory. Um, I come covered with the dust and grime and smog of the city when, I, when I've finished one of my wanderings through Los Angeles. So knowledge of maps led, led me to think about the city of Los Angeles as a, a pattern on the ground. And as a consequence of thinking about it as a pattern on the ground, I wrote a book which is a pattern of uh, small bits and pieces about, about my, my gridded city of, of Lakewood. Los Angeles uh, uh, requires uh, many different ways of uh, understanding it, and one of the more, most demanding is understanding it on the ground. Right. And, and Jonathan, having um, been in the car when I just want dinner and you're looking for a particular uh, <laughs> Vietnamese place or some new place to, to eat and you're insisting we you know drive around another half hour. Um, I know that um, you, you're also um, a wanderer um, and um, um, maybe you can talk about that and also I, I know that you uh, like DJ um, have an obsession with the grid and maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, unlike uh, I spent a lot of time on buses but unlike DJ I definitely move at the speed of my truck, which, given traffic in Los Angeles, is often not very fast at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's almost a trance. It's, I think of it sometimes as being the equivalent of Aborigines in Australia going on walkabout, is I point my car in one direction and I drive, and I basically I go wherever my car takes me. And Los Angeles is so big and so spread out that you can drive for 100 miles and essentially still be in Los Angeles. If not the city itself, then in a suburb that is exactly like Los Angeles. I think you have to cross the mountains to get to Bakersfield to get someplace that isn't Los Angeles. And you look for the soft spots on the grid. The, 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 the beauty for me is, as a food writer, is what I find in the mini malls or the liquor stores that just happen to sell uh, three Cambodian desserts because they're Cambodian, it's the one thing that they're able to do. Or to figure out that the Cambodian liquor store that mostly sold lottery tickets has become a full-fledged grocery and is now selling three vegetables that you've never seen before, which then leads to a restaurant the next time you come by. So every time you... Every time I, you know, aim my truck down the endless, endless streets and wind up somewhere, I find something different. I find a different city every time I go out. As a writer in Los Angeles, or especially a journalist in Los Angeles, I suppose, we're very used to having people from magazines in New York parachute in, stay at a hotel in Beverly Hills, and write about what they can find within 10 minutes of their posh hotel room before they go back and have a room service dinner. And that has probably less to do with 
what Los Angeles is than Guadalajara has to do with what Los Angeles is. There's certainly more uh, Jalisco emigres in Los Angeles than there are screenwriters. <laughs> I, I also wanted to add a little note to tag on to what Jonathan just said and also um, to also explain that though I am a non-driver and I wander the city and as a, a sort of semi-classic flaneur and, uh, pounding the pavement, uh, in, the, in, the, in the late 70s and early 80s, I, I, I went out virtually every weekend with a, a good friend who is a photographer and a painter. Uh, and our goal was to find the most out-of-the-way, forgotten corners of the city. And surprisingly, uh, Los Angeles, which is always understood to be the brand-new city, every day it's brand-new, there are parts of Los Angeles virtually unchanged from the 1890s, even from the 1880s. And you'll find pockets of neighborhoods where the past is simply there. It's gotten more dusty, but it hasn't, it hasn't actually been torn down or replaced. Los Angeles is surprisingly old in some of its corners. And if you get off the... the the main drag off the freeways, off the, off the routes taken by those, those uh, New York magazine writers, you will find a city that is astonishingly uh, complicated visually uh, uh, much more than, than, than you might imagine. Great. And I, I want to backtrack a little bit and just ask you all to answer the question that I, I know a lot of people have um, wanted me to check in with you about since we are at a book fa um, fa fair um, and, it, and that is what um, what are the I, I, I'm sure you didn't set set out to study LA writing um, when you were you know starting out you know finding your voices as writers but what are the books um, that would be Los Angeles books that you've read and and loved and and, and why Mona Simpson's Anywhere But Here was a is a great book that I recommend to everyone it's about it's really about uh, the feeling in some respects that I was describing in my earlier answer, which is trying to figure out stuff in your house. A lot of Los Angeles has lived, it, I am not a flanner. I am not the peripatetic. Um, I'm the brooder in the bedroom as you, you've already, <laughs> I've already disclosed. And, um, you know, and I don't drive. So, and I don't go, I don't take to my feet. What I actually do is I wind up going to the museums of Los Angeles, which is why I wound up setting one of my novels there because I can travel uh, and wander in a museum in a way that is otherwise, in, I feel, less accessible to me in Los, I know I'm going off subject, but. So um, Mona Simpson's book about, you know, just not really being clear, feeling really tiny in this gigantic sea of Los Angeles. Um, and uh, the glamour of Los Angeles, which exists somewhere in the stratosphere and that you would like to access but can't, is, is really a great example for me of, of what I'm describing. There's a great book by uh, a man named Johnny Otis, and some people in this room might know who that is. And I don't know how this will translate, but Johnny is a, a voluntary black man. <coughs> he's uh, he's uh, Greek-American by birth. Uh, his real name, I guess, is Johnny Vell Otis from Oakland, California. But he was a jazz musician. Well, he still is. I guess Johnny's still around, but I think he's bad health these days. And, uh, but he, he essentially willingly crossed the color line to become black uh, and hung around with black folks and played in black bands and had black members in his band. And he married a black woman, etc. There's this great book that he wrote, kind of a memoir called uh, Upside Your Head. And it's a, kind of an oral history of Central Avenue. And uh, what, that book in particular always resonated with me because my dad had come to, my dad was of that sort of black migration that came out of this little poor ass town in Texas called uh, Seguin, Texas, near San Antonio. And, uh, and he was part of that migration, him and his older brother Norman, uh, 
came, well, first they rolled the rails and they went east and then they came west. This is during the Great Depression, or I guess the first Great Depression, this is where we seem to be in the second one. <laughs> but, uh, and, and they came, they came, they eventually wound up in, in Los Angeles as part of that sort of black migration looking for work in the 30s. And at those days in Los Angeles, Los Angeles was a very segregated city. And so there's a lot of black life on what they called Central Avenue, they one particular thoroughfare uh, along, along what would become South Central LA, or in those days it was just called East Side. And there was hotels there, and there was restaurants there, and then you know, where the where, uh, black entertainers, when they came to town, they couldn't stay in the white hotels, they would stay at the Dunbar, they would stay at the Golden West. And various actors had, uh, Alex Lovejoy had a fish uh, placed on, on Central Avenue, and there was various jazz clubs. Anyway, so, and then, so Johnny, actually Johnny's club, the Barrel House was down in, down in Watts. But that was just, but, but I always heard those stories growing up about Central Avenue, I've used some of that in my books. And so that's always been, a, that book in particular uh, was, was uh, resonated with me a lot. And I guess I'll have to say this as somebody whose father was, in fact, a mechanic, so growing up with cars, um, uh, I have to say that I guess it's not, a, it's not a book per se, but it's certainly having been as a teenager, read a lot of car craft magazines <laughs> <laughs> and worked on cars and, and souped up cars. So that was, uh, that was just like a, for me, it was like, a, it was like just a, a normal thing to do because we always had cars and various car parts around the house. <laughs> well, m- my first encounter with Los Angeles as a place, uh, although I had, had gone there as a child with my father who worked for the Southern California Gas Company that had offices down, right downtown on Flower, Flower Street, my first encounter with, with Los Angeles as a place uh, in my imagination was in, in a very well-known book uh, by an author named Kerry McWilliams called Southern California, an Island on the Land. And McWilliams... Um, Explicated it, it, perhaps best uh, of any of the uh, interpreters of LA the, the, the quantities of darkness and brightness, the noir and the sunshine that, that uh, characterize uh, how we talk about Los Angeles, how we mythologize Los, An- Los Angeles. And I was completely compelled by, by Carrie McWilliams' voice, which was, which was cool and critical and a little sardonic, and the, the ironies in there were, uh, were well drawn. And I, I thought. Los Angeles, which had been, in my mind, kind of a distant elsewhere from my home, which is all of 26 miles from downtown Los Angeles, but it seemed like another, another planet, really. Um, suddenly, Los Angeles came into focus, and, and uh, I began to fall in love with it. F- from someone who had fallen in love with it before me, and then to a degree fell out of love with it. And I was, that was an interesting first encounter. Uh, listening to what Gary said, I'm tempted to... Uh say that the book would be Beneath the Underdog, (laughs) Charles Mingus' autobiography, which is, uh, you know, the the great jazz bass player, grew up in L.A., and uh, his autobiography has probably about as much about the underbelly of Los Angeles as one human being could take. And, And in another sense, one is tempted to say that the great voice of Los Angeles may not actually be a book, but may be, you know, the uh, 50 years of baseball broadcasting of Vince Scully, ah, which sounds more like Los Angeles than any book I can think of. But since it's required, I'll, I'll, I'll name L.A. is the Capital of Kansas by Richard Meltzer. Fascinating. Because Meltzer is a... Uh, he's a ex-rock writer a professional misanthrope who is extremely proud of the fact that he has never made uh, 
uh, five figures in a year. <laughs> and I think one of the necessary conditions for loving Los Angeles is being able to hate it with as bright a flame as Richard Meltzer seems to. And he hates the entertainment industry, he hates the music industry, he hates punk rock, he hates classical music, he hates buildings. In fact, one of his funniest books is something called The Ugliest Buildings in L.A., which is... <laughs> I, I, it's a very large book, by the way. <laughs> Man, we, we have some of the best art, domestic architecture in the world, but we have some of the worst also. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it just burns like a flame. It's a beautiful book. On Picking up on that, it does seem that there are um, one thread in many L.A. books is the fear of failure, um, Gary, I know some of your characters deal with that. Well, that's well, my personal fear. And there is a, a self-loathing that appears in, in, in some of the books. And, and DJ, you actually had a quote that I kind of love. It's just, um, the city um, talks about Los Angeles and um, the city's uh, unique uh, amalgam of sales pitch and self-deception, its ability to manufacture snake oil and simultaneously buy it. Um, and, and maybe you guys could talk a little bit about you know, that taint of self-loathing and failure, but, and also maybe it's opposite if you want to take it in a di different direction because, um, the, you know, you know, Jonathan, you actually talk about you know, loving the city, but, but you know, so maybe you could talk about both sides of that, and 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 each of you could take a, a turn at that. Gary, you might want to start. You might want to start <laughs> well, because well, you know your you, you might want to start because some of your characters they're 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 just so viscerally you know you know I think of the football player who had it right, all and right. you know right and comes back to town for one last chance at the big time in Los Angeles, which which of course is the the metaphor for L.A. The, the metaphor for L.A. even today strangely enough, is still about this, this notion of, of being able to recreate yourself. And you don't even have to be from somewhere else to be in L.A. to be able to recreate yourself. Probably the, in the last 20 to 25 years, the greatest impact of that or the greatest uh, evidence of that, really, in, for good and for ill, had been the explosion of rap. I mean, rap music, when, when by the time it comes from the East Coast and gets to the West Coast and gets changed, or, or you know, N.W.A. comes on the scene and gangster rap rises... Uh, the fact that you could have young men and young women who could, in those days, just uh, put down a track or two on a cassette tape and a little simple mixer and make a cassette tape, uh, you know, a, a finished uh, music tape with them, you know, with their rap songs on it and, and beats that they'd stolen off of other records in the background, uh, but then they could sell those tapes out of the back of their car uh, and how this then spreads from, you know, Compton, which is well, predominantly black, though now predominantly Latino, to the Latino community, to the Asian community, to the, to the Hmong community in, in, in Long Beach, uh, to the mixture, whatever, it, it really does, it, you know, and, for, and like I said, for good and for ill, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff about rap that, or particularly gangster rap, that's not self-referential, it's not going anywhere. But on the other hand, it really gave, it was like that ticket out of the ghetto, it was that classic ticket out of the ghetto that wasn't sports, uh, and it was, it was others, this other form of entertainment that in, in a lot of ways could not be, or at least initially couldn't be, uh, uh, co-opted by the big record companies. Now, eventually, of course, they do, but it is interesting how rap then, you know, comes to be this force within Southern California, particularly, within, you know, obviously within young folks. Um, 
So, it, so it's always struck me, I guess that's the part of the answer, which is to say that even today, even now, every day, you know, I'm at the Greyhound bus terminal in, uh, on, on Vine and Hollywood and, you know, and other parts of the city, people still come to L.A. Uh, in pursuit of a dream or pursuit of the last chance or in pursuit of a way to sort of remake themselves or to become something different, or even people in parts of the city move to another part of the city, or you're, you know, you're coming out of Inglewood and you move out to Palmdale and you become something different, or you, you know, whatever it is. But it, it, there's still that kind of um, allure that LA has that I, I, I'm sure other places have as well, but it has always been a kind of constant within LA, and certainly a kind of constant within, particularly within mystery fiction, crime fiction, uh, that, that, that trope of the character in search of the dream, and it could be a very small dream, it's not a big dream, but a very small dream, is always still there. I think that the fear of failure is, it is part of lo the Los Angeles tradition and Los Angeles culture, and one of the reasons why people come to LA is to succeed. Um, but in my, in my life, it was my parents who were both immigrants, one, my mother from Mexico and my father from Canada, who'd both known, you know, colossal, uh, in some cases, uh, poverty and some very harsh experiences. And so they looked at Los Angeles with this kind of uh, dream-like vision that everything would be okay when we, when we got here. So they wound up divorcing, so that didn't really, you know, uh, yeah. So that didn't, uh, but I'm happy that they met. And, you know, so, but, so, so they raised me. So all of their, like, their L.A. dreams, their, their you know, United States dreams were kind of, I was the only child. Not, you know, not that you can tell. So they all kind of coalesced on this one little kid being me. And so what was I? I was that most ghastly of things. I actually grew up in Lakewood uh, in my first years. And I was, I was uh, the Lakewood princess. Wow. And the queen of Lakewood. And, and you can tell. She remains the queen. Yes. <laughs> and I got to ride on a float with Ronald McDonald. And I wore a pretty dress. And then, of course, the next step that you have to take is acting. Because right. that's what you do. That's what people do. And so I was, right? So I was uh, ethnic extra in many uh, fine Hollywood productions. <laughs> and I was a Mexican victim in many fine Hollywood productions. <laughs> You know, with fake blood on me, and that was good. And so um, I kind of grew up with the Napoleon complex, maniacal gleam in my eye that everything uh, that I, anything that I want, you know, and also the kind of feminist dream, anything that I wanted to do, uh, I could. And uh, it, it, it didn't want, it didn't atom bomb on me. Things turned out. I feel very happy with the way things turned out. But for me. The constant, my father grew up, my, when I grew up, my father would always tell me, there's no, there's no safety net, kid. I'm seven years old. There's no, <laughs> there's no safety net, kid. You got to make it yourself, you know? So that kind of uh, stress and, uh, and uh, belief in yourself is, is, is the L.A. tradition for me. Of course, there's a problem with all of that. If the story of L.A. is that you get a new life, what if, what if that new life doesn't work out? and you get another one. And if it doesn't work out, you get another one. And suddenly the story of LA is endless anxiety about whether or not you bought into the right new life. And so 
part of what drives the the LA story, what, part of what makes noir a default condition in our narratives of the city is that we're unsettled in in what we've chosen, and we have this nagging fear that we've made the wrong uh, bargain, and and that and that the the city is withholding itself from us and giving itself to someone else, and so. Um, Though Los Angeles offers endless promise of renewal and self-reinvention, the problem is, what if you can't stop reinventing yourself? Uh, and the city is very much like that. What if the city can't stop reinventing itself? Places like Los Angeles need to be uh, understood as both always new, but also having a past, having uh, places of memory and a, and a sense of its own past. And, and part of what makes a Los Angeles writer, I suppose, is dealing with those two quantities, uh, the anxiety of, of newness and the, the lingering possibilities of what the past may tell us. And of course, in many ways, Los Angeles has no past. I mean, it has a physical past, but in most most parts, of, for example, the uh, crucial battle that uh, the uh, people from the United States won in the war against the Mexicans was in a place called Cahuenga Pass. And it steps from the Hollywood freeway and hundreds of thousands of people pass it every day. And probably not one person in 100 could tell you the significance of when, what went on there. They couldn't tell you about you know, how Pio Pico was defeated. They couldn't tell you that he basically threw the game in order to be you know, granted the South Bay and most of the San Fernando Valley as a consolation prize. And they probably couldn't show you, you know, the, the, the oak where the treaty was signed. Um, that that you go in the eastern part of the city and there are crossings and there are fords and there are places where there were, you know, battles and various things and various treaties were signed and various parts of land were ceded to one person or another and they disappear. I mean, streets in Los Angeles are named after the crops that were torn down in order to build the streets, which is why you have Walnut Grove and Orange Grove and Lemon and... Um, I want to quickly ask you one last question and get, try to get a, a, um, mm -hmm. some audience questions real fast. Um, and you, as you were talking about the past, one of the other big genres in, in Los Angeles uh, literature is science fiction, and, and Los Angeles has always been predictive of the future. So may, maybe you guys could talk a little bit about that. In the sense, maybe there could be a science fiction aspect to it or, or, or future trends, but also maybe even how you you guys are, are more... Um, you know, pushing the boundaries even of where where stories are set in Los Angeles, and and you know Michael Jaime Becerra is here too, and and you where you're pushing beyond the Beverly Hills Hollywood thing. So maybe you could look at different things of what's next in Los Angeles, uh, or or talk about you know how Los Angeles has been, you know, the science fiction genre, or things that you know patterns that have been predictive. Well, science fiction hasn't been particularly kind to Los Angeles. It's destroyed Los Angeles over and over and over and over again. Uh, and the most recent version is 2012, in which Los Angeles gets gleefully lunched, <laughs> practically foot by foot, with lo loving CGI uh, effects. Every square inch of Los Angeles is rendered into, in a, you know, into, into powder, into dust. Um, so 
science fiction always predicts Los Angeles is going to be a smoking crater with, you know, with lava flowing out of it. But, you know, I, I, I don't know where the literature of Los Angeles is going. I, I have the impression that it's not, not going to look much like me. Uh, I, have a, I, I have a strong impression that the literature of Los Angeles has not yet been written, and it is being written, and it'll be written by people who don't look like me, and it'll be written by people who've had sets of experiences that are unlike my experiences. And what I would want as a Los Angeles writer, a writer who writes about Los Angeles, is to imagine, and this is really just to imagine, to imagine that what I have felt the love that I have felt for this place somehow gets translated by some alchemy, some magic, to these new writers whose experiences are, will be utterly unlike my own. And, and that's what I wish for in the future of the literature of Los Angeles. That whatever stories are told, to some uh, residue of this regard I have for the city gets carried forward. I'm struck by what... Uh Dita just said, which is, it, it reminds me of two things. One is that uh, in terms of Los Angeles, uh, the black population of Los Angeles has gone from being the largest minority to now being the smallest minority, and that's not going to change. Uh, so that has been interesting, and that's pretty much happened in my lifetime. Uh, and, and to some extent, I try to reflect some of that in, in what I write about. Uh, that's just the nature of, the, of what has happened. Uh, I'm also very, I am struck, though, by this question of exactly that, there's all these kinds of uh, scenarios of, of Los Angeles, uh, you know, the, the cataclysmic earthquake and, the, and it breaks off and it becomes its own island and what have you, or parts of it will sink, or there'll be a large volcano, uh, or the, uh, the Mayan calendar will, will come to pass and, 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 and all this will, you know, be, be remade. Uh, but I'm reminded, too, of a, a very small little uh, novel which has now been remade three times, but none of it has been made the way it was written uh, by a man named Richard Matheson, who was... Ah, yes. uh, still around, he was pretty much an L.A. writer, a science fiction writer, and there was a book of his called uh, I Am Legend, which now has been remade with a you know, big budget with Will Smith set in New York uh, with a kind of zombie plague, or, uh, uh, yeah, zombie plague. And, uh, but the, the original novel, which was written in the 50s, is set in a small town called Gardena, which is a little suburb next to Los Angeles. It's a very quiet little sort of community. And, and in fact, in the book, Matheson sets the, he uses his own house, the house he was living in at the time in Gardena as the house where the protagonist lives in, in the book. And, and the book follows this man who's essentially trying to uh, keep civilization alive, uh, find this cure for, in fact, this zombie plague now that is, that is or actually in the book it's a vampire plague that is, has plagued uh, humankind, or at least Southern California. And I guess some people have pointed out because the book was written in the 50s, it was a metaphor for the Cold War, uh, what with you know vampires and, and, and zombies and flesh-eating creatures. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so maybe that is the future of, partly the future of Los Angeles, flesh-eating creatures. Uh, or, uh, because our politicians already do that. Uh, but, but I agree with DJ, too, that, that in fact uh, that LA you know, there is, there is an L.A. literature, there's an L.A. canon that exists now, but that will, of course, be replaced uh, by the new people, uh, by, the new, uh, by the new residents, and by the new people who reflect and live and work and, and, and love in that city. I mean, uh, one small footnote to that is that Los Angeles is commonly thought of as dystopian, as the great model of dystopia. And academics 
who study dystopian, you know, non-functioning cities and urban fabrics uh, call themselves the L.A. school, <laughs> <laughs> which is sometimes disturbing. But I think that what is happening is that the various parts of Los Angeles, the various parts of the mosaic, instead of being dystopian and building walls around each other and having machine gun nests and inventing fabulous laser rays in order to take out like large swaths of the Pacific Palisades, I think that it's just going to end up becoming something else entirely. And the future is exciting. I like zombies, and I like everything getting blown up. Each I like zombies and vampires. So if you're getting your something for Christmas... <laughs> Let's quickly take a couple questions from the audience. Oh, my name is Diego Usua, and I'd like to know if you got um, formal training as writers, and also what keeps you writing, actually facing a, a white page or... or okay. No formal training, uh, fear of death. Uh, no, no formal training in, in, uh, in the uh, factories of um, writing degrees that uh, many u American universities operate, the masters in finance programs. Uh, I learned to be a writer by writing every day. And what keeps me writing is the unhappy truth is I cannot stop writing every day. <laughs> um, again, you know, I, I've, never taken a, I've never taken a writing class and uh, fear of the void. <laughs> no, no particular formal training I've taken. I did take a, an extension class once uh, after I'd been fired from this union. I had time on my hands. <laughs> there we go. Sure, I'm Jenny Price, and I just wondered also, this is not my question, but if any of you write because you have to pay the rent. It's <laughs> um, one of the reasons I write. Um, but uh, my question is, I think that um, there are a lot of people who write about Los Angeles who have moved recently to Los Angeles, and we talked about this in a previous panel. Is there a difference, do you think, between people who have written about Los Angeles who were raised and grew up and born in Los Angeles and people who have written about Los Angeles, some of them very prominent. It's considered to be some of the major spokespeople for L.A. in the history of L.A. literature uh, who were newcomers. We didn't get into that subject in an earlier panel, but it's an in interesting one. I, uh, just as a general comment, my impression is that uh, people who have lived their whole life in Los Angeles and who have um, become writers uh, are relatively rare in Los Angeles, but now there's a generation, kind of sort of my generation, which is a little bit old, is actually able to do the writing, that, that writing work, be able to tell that story. So, I mean, 30 years ago, that wouldn't have been true. Uh, only only a, a small segment of the of the population may have lived there their whole life. Uh, so we now have a critical mass of people who've lived there um, uh, 50 plus years, and therefore maybe we're getting more literature of of place d written by people who've lived their whole lives there. Uh, my name is Michael, and I was wondering uh, if you guys could talk about places in the city that inspire you, that make you want to go back to the to the word processor, the, the computer, and work. To, to me, the, to me the, the two places that I, I'm always happy to spend a lot of time on are probably uh, Valley Boulevard and Monterey Park, which is not just Chinese, but probably 20 or 30 different kinds of Chinese within, uh, within a few miles. It's a 20-mile-long stretch of every kind of Chinese you can imagine, uh, going almost all the way to Pomona. And... You know, there's always something new on Whittier Boulevard in East LA. Always. 
you know, there's a long street, Western Avenue, and it, of course it runs from, uh, oh my God, I guess it runs from the Palisades, runs from the ocean down to, uh, uh, to Hollywood or wherever it, wherever it becomes Los Feliz. And I'm, always, I'm actually always fascinated by city, uh, uh, streets like that in Los Angeles, these long avenues of ours that go through and cut through these various neighborhoods. So every once in a while I think, every once in a while I will drive these, uh, these streets like Western Avenue just to see the different signage, just to see the different shops that have come and gone. <laughs> maybe stop in for a place that I haven't stopped in to eat at and just to, to try it out. And so things like that always inspire me, I guess, because it always reminds me how the city is changing. Uh, and for me, the Los Angeles that inspires me is the L.A. of my memory, the L.A. of growing up. And I would might suggest from what you've heard this evening from, from uh, Gary and Jonathan and Ixta is that, of course, what, what inspires us seems to be inspiring us, and I know it inspires me, is the ordinary and the commonplace in Los Angeles. It's not the extraordinary or the, uh, or the glamorous per se, it is the, the everydayness of Los Angeles. And that's also something different about what it means to be a, a writer today in Los Angeles. We know the subject matter is changing, and, the, and part of that subject matter is the ordinariness of the place. Great. I, so I want to thank uh, oh, our panelists. We have one more question. Oh, sorry. Uh-oh. Oh, 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 Gregory. <laughs> I'm wondering if, when and if you ever leave Los Angeles, any of you, will you still consider yourselves, wherever you are, will you still consider yourselves L.A. writers? And why? That's how we roll, babe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That, that's a good place. Yeah. <laughs> to end. Okay. I second that emotion. Yeah. I think the answer is yeah. I think the answer is that's how we roll, baby. <laughs> I want to thank. That's a great place to end, and I want to um, thank our translator uh, yes. for um, yay. <laughs> and our panelists, and I'm really um, looking forward to all of you continuing to write and help uh, shape Los Angeles literature. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, and,